it's a suitably odd fact about the late English writer Mark Fisher's most famous phrase, it's easier to imagine the end of the world than to imagine the end of capitalism, that it originated elsewhere. It came through Fisher rather than from him, but became the mantra of his most celebrated book, Capitalist Realism, that title itself another plucked from the ether. It's odd because Fisher's short and hugely influential book, just reissued in a new edition from Zero Books, was, among other things, a piercing howl against the cul-de-sac of recycled culture. But for a generation of writers, artists and musicians, the book was also much more, as Alex Niven, who's written the introduction to the new edition of Capitalist Realism, explained to Culturefile. I got to know Mark in person eventually through working at Zero Books, um, but just, just prior to that, a couple of years before that, he'd encouraged me to write my first book, Folk Opposition, which came out in 2011. The first copy of Capitalist Realism I managed to get my hands on was uh, ordered through the internet, I guess in some ways appropriately. Um, I'd read an article Mark uh, had written in New Statesman, I think in the last days of 20, 2009, and then ordered a copy of Capitalist Realism, partly because it was quite cheap. Um, you know, I think a big factor with zero books is that they were you know quickly written quite cheaply produced uh, and therefore cheap to buy that I think helped its readership among younger readers and, and students and postgraduate students of which I was one at the time obviously it's a very short sharp pointed text and was pretty blown away by it what did it have to offer you in particular I spent much of my early 20s trying but failing to find an avant-garde in, in Britain, in, in, in England, where I was living. I'd been involved in the music industry. Uh, I was in a band called Everything Everything and was sort of slightly dismayed by the experiences of the music industry and the culture industry more broadly that, that I encountered in the band. I'd sort of retreated back, back to academia to do a PhD, but I'd, I'd also quite quickly discovered that academia was, was also in a, a, a bit of a bad way. So discovering Mark's text, you know, just in the fact of its style and its format and its publication context and, and zero books more broadly was something of a revelation to me because it, it seemed to offer the prospect of a, a kind of contemporary avant-garde sort of failed to find in the years prior to that. I suppose the reason why, you know, we're still interested in the book now is because it did really want to have an action in the world. It, it was a, a way of looking at the world, but it intended that there would be an output from that. Like he actually thought that there was a psychic effect that reading this book could have. Mark, in Capitalist Realism, wasn't calling for specific actions. I think there was a much broader diagnosis and, and argument and, and, and prognosis, if you like, that the only way things were going to begin to change was through some kind of reawakening, almost, uh, you know, psychic, as you say, or, or almost kind of quasi-spiritual reawakening of, of the young, of bohemia, of counterculture, of, uh, and also of alliances between, I guess, a kind of unionised working class um, and students, I guess, uh, for want of a better, better way of putting it. I think that, more than anything else, is, is what capitalist realism communicates. It's a very short text. It's kind of hooked around these kind of short lyrical phrases. You know, what if you held a protest and everyone came? 
Uh, and, you know, also the, 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 the axiom, uh, you know, it being easier to imagine the, the end of the world and the end of capitalism. And also, you know, the allusions to Alfonso Cuaron's Children of Men, with which the book begins this parable, if you like, about a society not being able to produce young people to, to, to reproduce, to, to give birth to, to children, essentially. I think, you know, capitalist realism is, is really at, at its root a text which is calling for a reawakening of, you know, of the young and of innovation and renewal that comes from empowering young people. It's much less specific about how that's to be achieved, as you say, but I think that at bottom is 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 its great power and its, its great central argument. It diagnosed that there was something uh, stuck about the world in which you were living in, in 2009. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... I think every generation thinks that their contemporary moment is is the worst possible moment in human history. I think, you know, there were certain particularly bad things about the late late noughties, the late 2000s. I think compared to now, there was less of a sense of impending doom, impending apocalypse. There was less of a sense that, you know, we're kind of hurtling towards the cliff edge. On the other hand, popular culture, I think, was... At a real, in a real nadir, you had the kind of real kind of, I guess, kind of fag end of, of new labour. And obviously, you know, things like Britpop were the kind of cultural mode, if you like, of new labour. So you had that kind of running out of steam in the form of awful guitar bands. You know, this was the great era of, you know, reality TV, uh, you know, just kind of coming into view, into public view. Uh, you know, celebrity culture was 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 at a particularly kind of crass moment of uh, its ascendancy, and I think underneath all of this, the, the reason why this period was was particularly bad was a, a problem that capitalist realism, Marx text diagnosed, which was that there was no alternative. It seemed as though there was no opposition. There just did not seem to be any organised counterculture or organised left. There just didn't seem to be anything going on at all. In the book, he sort of sees uh, two aspects of this, and one is sort of about the um, managerialism, but the other is a sort of more specifically cultural critique, which is about what Simon Reynolds later called retromania, and this idea that um, the people who he saw around him, who ought to have been the emerging creative class, were incapable of doing anything but looking backwards and regurgitating. I mean, I guess that is something that probably does afflict uh, various generations, but he, he thought it was particularly real at that point. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I, a more broader problem with this this moment uh, of the late noughties in which capitalist realism, realism was written was, yeah, this this problem of what Simon Reynolds, as you say, diagnosed as retromania, this this sense that popular culture had kind of ground to a halt, had stopped producing new things, had stopped innovating. This probably happens at, repeatedly throughout cultural history, but I think it was particularly acute at this time and indeed is, is, is still a problem today. I mean, this critique had... I guess there's a sense in which we're, we're talking about a postmodern landscape in which ideas of kind of modernist progress and innovation have ground to a halt and you have kind of postmodernist ethic of recycling and, and regurgitating and kind of looking back to the past and retreating into the past. Alex Niven there on Mark Fisher and Capitalist Realism and we'll have the second part of that conversation next time on Culture File. <laughs> 